Please turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 14 through 23. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as you continue to show the depth of your rich character and the unfolding of how in the space of six days, you put on display a wonderful, beautiful, wise unfolding of who you are, that your character is stamped in every proton and neutron and electron that turns into molecules and atoms and forms everything that we see. Your word is what did this and your word can continue. And we beg, Father, that you would take this, your special words to us, your people, and that you would press them deeper and deeper into our hearts and clear pathways that they would come out in the way we move, in what we see and look at, and in who we talk to and how. May you do this for us in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's time for? Sounds like a question your kids ask when they're too young to understand the answer. But God doesn't leave us in the dark. In this passage, we're continuing to look at this distinction between the creator and the creature. And what we see today is that it tells us that our God shows us and tells us here that our life is going to be good. God gave us purpose through time experienced in movement. That's the central point, that God gave us purpose 
through time experienced in movement. And so how do we feel at home on the earth? Well, God gives us purpose by giving the security of fixed movement, as we see in verses 14 through 19, and giving the joy of animated movement in verses 20 through 23. So first, God gives us purpose by giving the security of fixed movement. And particularly, we're looking in verses 14 through 19 at day four of creation. Now, the Hebrew mindset, as we've looked through this passage already up to this point, is to move from the general to the specific. And of course, they get this mindset from God himself. That's how God is displaying piece by piece in ways that we didn't know before, but then he adds to and adds to and adds to. We see in these words key markers that help us to see the flow of what God is doing. That there is in days one, two, and three, a fixity of form that we might call stage one of creation. In other words, fixed life support systems to make the earth inhabitable for all these creatures that we just read about and and especially for us as God's image bearers. So we go from fixed life support systems to God filling the fixed forms in stage two, days four, five, and six. We have dynamic life engagement systems. So you have both fixed and dynamic. Day one, we have light created. And in day four, we have the luminaries. Luminary means a natural light-giving body, especially the sun and moon and also the stars. In day two, we have sea and heaven flowing into day five, fish and fowl. In day three, we have earth with plants. In day six, we have the land creatures including later in day six, the creation of man. So the fixed forms of stage one, days one through three, primarily emphasize the separations and the distinctions of each of these fixed forms. And the filling of the fixed forms are additions that make life beautiful and good. So day four, the luminaries or the light bearers. These Creations move in a fixed, regular route, and the earth moves in relation to them, giving a regularity and rhythm of life. Now, there are four basic purposes of the light bearers, or four basic functions. The first is that they are designed to help us grasp time. We ask the question, what is time? In verse 14, We see them functioning to give us order. First, to separate the day from the night. And then let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And this may come as a surprise, but signs actually signify something. That's what they mean. No surprise there. Signs signify. And what do they signify? They signify and emphasize the creator-creature distinction. 
that we are in time and for us to be aware of that. Now, seasons here is not particularly summer and winter and the like, but more like extended time periods, like months or I don't even remember what this meant, but like they used to say way back when, a fortnight. Someone can educate me on what that is later. And then you have days and years, which is comprehensive of all time. And what good is that? Well, what we have here are the building blocks of life. That time moves forward and that growth is progressive. And as a Christian, this ought to encourage you. That is not instantaneous or perfectionistic. It's one thing and then another. And God is so kind and patient to do that. And so kind and patient toward us as we plod along learning his word, applying his word, struggling with the old man that lives within. This ought to give you encouragement that God uses building blocks. Look at your sheet there, Ecclesiastes chapter three. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. And a quote from Charlie Peacock song, The Secret of Time. And I love how this summarizes all of this of what we just talked about. Time is a gift of love and grace. Without time, there'd be no time to change. Time to be tried, humbled, and broken. Time to hear the word of the love spoken. The second function is that these luminaries are designed to help us grasp our home. Look at verse 15. In the second half there, they were to give light upon the earth. This light gives us clarity. It enables us to see the beauty of our home. And we get an inner sense of God's care for us, that we were made for a place like this. There is this creator-creature distinction The creation is not an extension of him. That is what we call in the the big academic books, pantheism, meaning that everything is an extension of God or an emanation from God, kind of part of who he is. If that's so, then we don't count for anything. I want you to see the balance of what God has done here, the beautiful balance. Creation is not just an extension of us. Is actually a distinction between all the creatures and the rest of the creatures. Because that would be what, again, the big academic word is solipsism, where everything is just in your mind and everything's just an extension of you. Many years ago, the actress Shirley MacLaine believed this. I don't know if she still does, but she even said that all of the Beatles and JFK and, and Vietnam, she did all that. She was talking about her inner goddess thing. If that's the case, then God doesn't count for anything. So in one sense, we could have it where we don't count for anything. In the other sense, we can have it where God doesn't count for anything. But rather here, we get to participate in his world that he makes 
for us. And that's what we see with the light bearers. Look at your sheet there, John 1. In him, meaning Jesus, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The next function is that these luminaries are designed to help us grasp our place in the creation. As we said, signs signify. And so we think in terms of like even at sea, where it's very hard to know where you are in relation to everything else when you have nothing but waters in every direction. You have the sun moving from our perspective. Of course, it's a different in actuality. But from our perspective, it moves from east to west. And then you have the stars and where they position at various times of the year. Back in the days when we didn't have radar, those who navigated the seas used the stars to get to their destinations. And how could we forget the wise men coming from the east, following a star? Matthew 2 on your sheet there. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. And then you have the comparison for Abraham. Again, knowing what our place is, that we can get lost and we can feel like we don't count for anything because we've had this alienation from God from the fall. And we know we were designed for purpose, but we can't find it without God. And so God speaks to Abraham when he's promised children to him. We'll get to this one day as we work through this book. But in Genesis 15, there on your sheet, he was wondering, are you going to give me a child? Finally, it was an old man asking this question. And God brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And then a comparison for us in a humbling sense from Psalm 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. We look at this massive stars and universe and we wonder, what are we? And no, God says, you're the glory of this creation and you're crowned with that glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet. That's what we were designed for. Then the next purpose is it's designed to heat the earth. Plant life needs both light and heat to grow. Now, Imagine if the earth wasn't tilted. You know how that would impact the world? Apparently, according to scientists, the sun would, in the poles, always be on the horizon, going up and down. There would never be the, the midnight sun or the six months of darkness or whatever they experience. The further north or further south you go on the earth at various times. Everything on the equator would be equal. There might be snow. There might not be. So imagine mountains without ice cap peaks. And I don't know what the implications of that are, is for rivers and how that affects our ecosystem. There would be no hibernating animals because food would be plentiful and plant life would look very different. And so here we do have literally the seasons 
showing us the passage of time and the signs and the way they are in relation to us and how different things would be if things were just slightly changed. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 16. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And he answered them and he said, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Jesus there is pointing to the regularity of these fixed things in the sky, but you got to look beyond that. That's just general revelation. The special revelation is Christ. That's what he's saying. When it says, let there be stars, and when it says he set them in the heavens, it really comes from the word give. That God gave the lights and how we move as we are positioned in relation to them. So one overarching purpose of this, as we see in verses 16 through 19, is that they rule particular aspects. They give dominion over the creation. They reflect his rule and remind us that they reflect his rule. But also they serve us. All of those functions there serve us in our life on the earth. The quote there from Henry Morris on your sheets. All the necessities for living creatures were present on earth by this time. Light, air, water, soil, chemicals, plants, food, fruits, and so forth. One thing was still missing. The earth was still void. Recall Genesis 1, 2. Void of inhabitants. Isaiah 45, 18 says, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, and he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. We can feel so lost with the threats of COVID, so lonely at the prospect of the death of loved ones, so scared of what might happen to this country and to this world. And all these are legitimate concerns. But look who placed you here in this time and fix the exact times and the boundaries of your living right now, as Paul says in Acts 17. No, it's not what it should be now because of the fall of our first father, but Jesus has entered in. Remember God gave the lights for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the light of the world, as we see in verse 17, he set them, he gave them. Just like we said last week, he is always thinking of us. This part is also dealing with identity. The people that first got these words were coming out of Egypt. The stars, the sun and moon were worshipped by the Egyptians. Even the stars, you notice how it's just kind of mentioned in passing in the stars? Because the ancient Near Eastern world worshipped these things. And God said, no, I created them to rule the day and the night. And I created them to serve the glory of my creation. Man is male and female. It is God who fixes your identity, not you. You don't get to define yourself. God does. And that's a good thing because it's fixed. You don't have to go find yourself. Just look at how God has made you according to his word. We are not people at the core of our being to be defined by fear. 
Doesn't mean we don't have fears. We're not that because we belong to him. So there's no need for a horoscope. There's no need for any consulting of mediums or sorcery or any kind. We are in his hands, made by him, redeemed by him. No need to worry. Look at Mark on your sheets there. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, talking about a ruler trying to get his daughter healed, said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And the famous passage of Matthew 6 about the lilies being dressed, the birds of the air we just read about in Genesis They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Do you see your identity? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? God is telling us that our life is going to be good, ultimately, and at its core. God gave us purpose through time, experienced in movement. So how do we feel at home on the earth? God gives us purpose. First, he gave us the security of fixed movement, and now in verses 20 through 23 and day five, giving the joy of animated movement. Now, this is about God really preparing a home for us. Look at what Jesus says in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. This is reflective of what he began to do here in creation. The place has been ruined by sin. It's like living in a hovel compared to what he's preparing for us. So in a very deep and significant sense, heaven is going to reflect creation in two ways. First, there's a new heavens and a new earth, and there's furnishings for rooms, and not only old kind of furnishings. Remember my daughter Amy one time wanted to make something, but she emphasized I don't want to just make something. I want to make something that moves. So we got a little robot kit. It was made out of a Coke can and sticking things on it with a battery. It's in that sense that that's the image of God in us. He made movement to serve him. And we need time in order to move. And to serve us, as we said earlier, he makes an emphasis in verse 20. That let the sea swarm with swarms. And it says birds in the next part, but that's really flying creatures. Let flying creatures fly across the expanse. There's a sense of piling on here. And no wonder these are living creatures. This is the first time we hear the word in Hebrew here, nephesh, which means animated life, self-directed life. This is not fixed movement of the sun, moon and stars and the earth. This is life that moves of its own accord according to its kind and its design. The great sea creatures is possibly, and I'm not going to stake too much on this, it's translated in an older translation as sea monsters, possibly a, a hint at dinosaurs. It's also in other parts of Scripture. Look at Psalm 148.7. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all deeps. And then we have the blessing of verse 22. God provides the reproductive capacities for the passing on of the life he gives. The quote from Henry Morris and then Doug Kelly. Like the various plants, the actual biochemical reproductive systems of the animals were programmed to assure the fixity of the kinds. 
Physically and chemically, animals are similar to plants. Modern genetics has shown that all replicating systems function in the framework of the marvelous information program in the DNA molecule. The DNA for each kind is programmed to allow for wide individual variations within the kind, as he says here in the scripture, the kinds after their kinds, but not beyond the structure of the kind itself. Doug Kelly summarizes, all of this means that the reproduction of life is the specific blessing of God. The Bible frequently speaks of increase as a blessing. So he says, be fruitful and multiply. God blesses physical life and physical and spiritual life is in concert together for the best life for his creatures. The blessing of God for them is to multiply. This increase implies growth because of time and he is above time, but he provides the growth in all areas of life, the growth of family and the promotion of life. So we come in for a landing here. Let me read the quote from Doug Kelly on your sheet there. This is an utterly different attitude from the pagan materialism of our declining Western society, which sees reproductive increase as a curse rather than a blessing. Even our family of four and people will say, my goodness, four, like it's a curse. Because of their departure from biblical standards, which are based essentially on love of life, God first, one's neighbor next, the Western countries have for some decades experienced decline in population. The most basic denial of moral law, loving self rather than God and neighbor, is running an epidemic course in the world's richest societies. Its grim symptoms are evidenced in abortion and euthanasia. Only a return to the value Genesis gives to the increase of life through the redeeming activity of the one through whom all things were made, in whom is life, can bring healing to the educated and outwardly wealthy, but often dissatisfied and perishing multitudes of the Western world. Only God can do this. I mean, I can't. I remember when I was nine years old, I went to the fair in Florida, Florida State Fair, and I played one of those games where you throw the ping pong balls into the goldfish bowls. And I won one of them. And they put the goldfish in a plastic bag and gave me that little bowl to take home. Plastic bag. Fills with water with a nine-year-old kid. Now, the goldfish survived that transport. He survived being in a little bowl. I even bought him one of those bigger round bowls. About two weeks later, he wasn't in that bowl anymore. I found him somewhere else. He had jumped out. I wanted to care, but I couldn't. I just didn't know enough. But he does. So go to Jesus. He bore your burdens on the cross. He entered time to bear your sins and infirmities. The infirmities of not just bodily disease, but of not knowing how to care for yourself or others, including his creatures. Look at what Jesus says in his final invitation. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And that's what time plus sin has done. And this is what Jesus does. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy 
And my burden is light, and it is because he is the one who made you. He's got the shoulders to handle it. Our life is going to be good as we experience God's purpose for us through time, experience and movement, feeling at home on the earth by having purpose set in the fixed movement that he's provided and the joy of animated movement. Let us pray. Thank you, Father, for the joy of creation. Thank you for the regularity that we can have a baseline to understand, comprehend, and truly embrace and enjoy the goodness of life. Oh, Father, may we be forgiven of the sins and the scourge of things like abortion, of the violence in men's hearts, which brought on the flood. And may we repent and return to you and find Jesus' invitation sweet, that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, that we would take that yoke and live into the design that you made us for. Thank you for the gifts of faith and repentance and for the cleansing and washing of all of our sins and what he has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.